Listening to English regularly over longer periods of time is definitely going to help your English a lot. So Luke's English podcast, I hope, will sort of provide that resource for you. If you want to push your English even further, if you want to improve your spoken fluency in particular, then um, speak to people. You've got to speak to people in English. And if you don't have people to speak to, for example, if you're looking for a one-to-one teacher or a language partner or something, then try italki. It's just a really convenient service that will help you to uh, get speaking practice on a regular basis from the comfort of your own home. And uh, italki are offering all of my listeners um, a voucher worth 100 italki credits um, and to check out that offer and to just uh, have a look at italki in general, uh, go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk. Okay, right. Now, here's a new episode of the podcast, and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello there. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. How are you doing out there in podcast land? I hope you're all right. In this new episode, you're going to hear me in conversation with Molly Martinez and Dane Nightingale. Molly's been on this podcast before. She was in episodes 198 and 199. Have you heard those? They're fun episodes. You might want to check them out. You'll find links on the page for this uh, episode. And in those episodes, Molly and I uh, talked uh, about her studies as a journalist. We tested each other's general knowledge of the UK and the USA, and I tried to teach her how to do different regional accents in British English, including things like the Birmingham accent and stuff like that. So that was episodes 198 and 199, recorded in 2014. Ah, 2014. Such fun times, such innocent times. Those episodes, as I said, are still available for you to listen to, and you can find them in the episode archive. Um, Now, uh, for a few days, Molly is back in Paris, um, because she moved away from Paris uh, to San Francisco, but she's back in Paris, seeing friends and visiting her old haunts, and uh, this time, she's accompanied by Dane Nightingale. Dane Nightingale, who I think you will agree has rather a fantastic name, doesn't he? Nightingale. By the way, a nightingale is a sort of bird. It's a bird that sings a beautiful song, but only during the night time. You might have nightingales in your countries, I don't know what you call them, but it's a a bird that's got a particular song they sing at night. That's a nightingale. So um, Molly, this time, is joined by Dale... Not Dale, no... Get it? Get the name right, Luke. Sorry, Dane. I got your name wrong there for a second. Um, she's joined this time by Dane Nightingale, the man with the fantastic surname. And they're both here for a couple of days. And thankfully, I managed to grab them both. Not physically, of course, just figuratively. I just grabbed them phys- figuratively, not physically. Uh, I grabbed them for about an hour of conversation on this podcast and that's what you're going to hear uh, in this episode all right um so let me just give you an overview of this episode here just to help you keep up all right because um obviously this podcast is for learners of english i've got listeners with a variety of different levels and this conversation is you know a typically fast conversation between native speakers all who sort of at times 
the conversation gets a little bit heated because we talk about politics a little bit in the middle. And also, we have a bit of fun and tell a few jokes. So it might be difficult to keep up. So let me just give you a quick overview before I play you the conversation. So um, this episode has a light-hearted bit at the beginning and then quite a serious bit in the middle and then another light-hearted bit at the end. So sort of fun, serious fun, okay? The serious bit is when we start talking about the uh, presidential election results. And there's uh, you can actually hear a palpable shift in tone um, in the conversation at that point. So look out for the change in tone when we start talking about the election. And when I say change in tone, I mean the general atmosphere becomes a bit more serious at that point. So watch out for the shift into the serious bit and then the shift back into the less serious bit when we stop talking about the politics. Um, So in the first light-hearted fun part, we established these things. So first of all, we established that Molly and Dane are an item. They're going out with each other. Um, They're going steady, which I think is the expression that they use in North America, I think. Anyway, essentially, they're boyfriend and girlfriend. They're they're an item, but they don't live together. So they're not living in sin. Um, as you will hear them say. Um, Molly is a journalist. She works for CBS in San Francisco. She's mostly on the production side, but she does some on-air stuff. Um, On-air, you know, like reports to camera and things like that, Um, as well as video editing and also writing for anchors. An anchor, a news anchor, is someone who presents the news. In, In the UK, we call them news presenters. In the United States, they are anchors or news anchors, all right? An anchor also is a thing that you, if you're on a boat and you want, you don't want the boat to drift away, you drop the uh, anchor into the water and it's like a big heavy metal thing and it drops to the bottom and it prevents the boat from drifting away. I suppose a news anchor kind of does the same job on a news show that they're there to sort of like hold the whole show in place. Anyway, um, so Molly is on the production side, uh, but she does some on-air stuff like she does reports to camera and some editing and writing for the anchors. Um, uh, Molly's also a stand-up comedian um, who tells jokes on stage uh, she also tells quite quite a lot of jokes off stage too. Uh, I think it's fair to say that she's something of a compulsive joke teller, which is all right in my book. Um, you will hear uh, Molly make a couple of jokes during the episode fairly quickly. You'll you'll hear that Molly makes a joke about how I'm the heir to the BBC fortune, which makes me sound like I'm set to inherit the entire BBC which I think is quite funny because obviously I'm, I'm not. Uh, it's just that my dad used to work for the BBC. Um, so she says I'm the heir to the BBC fortune, which makes me sound like a sort of uh, some kind of prince or something like that, um, which is quite funny. I then explain in huge detail how, in fact, the BBC is publicly funded, which is not that funny. It's just factual. Um, uh, Dane talks about how he works for a startup. A startup, obviously, is a new company. So Dane works for a startup, which basically makes the internet faster. And he tells us how the internet is basically just a series of tubes that run under the ocean and stuff like that. And uh, he talks about how my audio episodes travel from servers in Tower Bridge in London to users all over the world and how the startup company that he works for aims to make this process faster by allowing data to be stored locally. I'm not sure I understand exactly how it works, but it's pretty interesting to kind of explore 
uh, how the internet works and what he does in his job. Um, Molly then tells us about the five things that make something newsworthy. Five things that make a story worth reporting on the news. And apparently the five things are relevance, time, novelty, proximity and cats as well. Uh, I think she might have made up the fifth uh, item in that list. Um, Then the serious bit begins when I ask them about their reaction to the US election. Hopefully you'll find it interesting to hear about this story directly from the mouths of two US citizens from San Francisco. We try to understand how Trump won and Hillary lost and what happened, what the voting behaviour was and what the uh, motivations uh, of the voters uh, were. Uh, We talk about the campaigns of both candidates and we also uh, talk about the electoral system and how that had an impact on the result. Um, Then the podcast becomes slightly less serious again uh, and the the conversation turns to the subject of marijuana laws in the USA, particularly in in, uh, California. Um, because uh, in California, they've, they've recently introduced new marijuana laws, uh, which is quite interesting. And uh, we hear how Molly once met Tommy Chong, uh, who is uh, one of the members of the stoner comedy duo Cheech and Chong. So we talk, we hear about how Molly once, her, once met uh, um, Tommy Chong on an aeroplane, high in the sky, especially him. And, uh, and how both Molly and Dane are next uh, going to Iceland, where it might be very cold, and where people might eat puffins. In fact, I checked it out. Apparently, uh, in Iceland, they, they do eat puffins sometimes. They're, it's a kind of a traditional food considered to be a delicacy. Now, you might be thinking, what are puffins? Well, puffins are lovely little birds with colourful beaks. So that's the, that's the second kind of bird we have, we've had in this episode already. We've had nightingales, those birds that sing during the night, and then we've got puffins, which live in the sort of northern Atlantic. Uh, you find them in Scotland, also Iceland, and uh, they're beautiful, really cute little birds that have these uh, quite large, colourful beaks. Um, so that's uh, puffins. Now, at this point, I should say that you you should be aware of the meaning of, of these two words. So we've got the word puffins, or puff, a puffin, a kind of bird. And then there's the word puffing, which is P-U-F-F-I-N-G. Puffing. And then and the animal, puffin, which is P-U-F-F-I-N. So P-U-F-F-I-N, that's the bird, puffin. And then the, uh, the word puffing, which is P-U-F-F-I-N-G. Yes, I am basically pre-teaching some words so that you will understand a joke that happens later in the episode. Um, right, so the puffing with the ing, that's the gerund form of the verb to puff, which means to take smoke from a cigarette or perhaps a pipe or maybe a joint in the case of California, to puff a joint or to uh, take a puff from a joint or to toke a joint or to take a toke from a joint, all right, or to puff a cigarette, okay, or to puff a pipe, okay? Right, so that's puffin and puffing, you see? Right, it's like another Russian joke, isn't it? It is, it's kind of like that. So um, you understand then that the, the sentence, enjoy your puffin, can have two meanings. It could, in, it could mean enjoy eating a little Icelandic bird as a delicacy, or it could mean enjoy smoking some weed, especially if you're in California, where it's recently been made legal. 
all right. God, that was hard work, wasn't it? Um, right then. So you're now ready to listen to the conversation between uh, myself, uh, Molly Martinez and Dane Nightingale. So here we go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I've probably already done an introduction. Uh, so this is just a classic case of me int- introducing myself again. But uh, um, welcome back. And uh, today on the podcast, I'm joined again by uh, Molly Martinez, who's sitting opposite me on the left, sort of diagonal and to the left. <laughs> and also Dane, and I don't even know your surname. Nightingale. Nightingale. You can speak into the microphone, Dane. Nightingale. Okay. Uh, Dale Knight, what a brilliant name! I know. When I first when our first date, I made him show me his ID because I was like, "That surely that's a pickup line." Really, it, it's real and it's very English. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Are you, are you, most American people have got like an origin somewhere else, right? Everyone's like, you know, for example, your family's from Mexico, right? Very racist to assume that. Very racist to assume. That. <laughs> I, I am indeed. Okay, is that why you're you, you've escaped to Europe this weekend? Yes. That is, we had to take refuge elsewhere okay. outside of our borders. Really? Well, and Mexico, we couldn't come back, so we picked France because right. they have a re-entry policy now. Right, I see. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll deal with that properly in, in a bit. Uh, but Nightingale, is that actually an English name then? Monmouthshire, I think. Mon, what? It's apparently from the city of Monmouthshire, which mm. might actually be a small town that you've never heard of, never. <laughs> which is fine. <laughs> I've never been, so I've never fair is fair. Never heard of it in my life, but... Um, Luke, it, you're from Birmingham, right? Uh, um, yeah, Birmingham, yeah. Be- oh. Are you doing the accent? <laughs> That's what you taught me last time. That's right, yeah. So A well, point of cider. Point of cider. Point of cider. That's it. That's a sort of a Southwest uh, accent. Yeah. Uh, Molly, you've been on this podcast before. Uh, Dane Nightingale, uh, <laughs> with the English name. Uh, you've never been on this podcast before. So what I need to do now is kind of contextualize all of this. So uh, Molly, do you know, do you remember the last time you were on this podcast? Two years ago. That's right. In the year of 20, 2014. In the year of 2014. Emma Stone was huge. <laughs> that's when Emma Stone was famous um, it was actually in episode the last time was episode 199 oh wow and I imagine that this is episode 399 <laughs> so 200 episodes have passed yeah um, and uh, I'm going to ask you what you've been up to so what have you been up to well as your viewers can tell I've obviously gotten much more attractive right <laughs> so I've been working hard on that um I have since moved away from Paris, unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, to San Francisco. Right. Okay. Which is where I live now. How is it in San Francisco? It's great. Great city. Um, very liberal over there. Very uh, a lot of fun. Lots of rainbows. Very expensive. Yes. Well, it's one of the top cities in the world, isn't it? Really. Yeah. One of those great locations. Yeah, I think I moved from the number three most expensive city to maybe the second one. Well, Tokyo and London are up there too. I can't count. That's yeah, that's too many numbers. There's lots of there's lots of expensive cities, yeah. and you live you you've now lived in two of them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Dane, do you live in San Francisco too? I do. Okay. Do you guys live together? No. No. Not no, you don't. In, not in sin. Not in sin. Oh yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got to make sure they hear that in America. Not in sin. Right. 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 Because these sort of these principles are important. <laughs> Um, but let's get, let me just kind of clarify for my listeners. You guys are an item, right? Yes. This, yes. Okay. So you, yes. Yes. All right. So you're, uh, so Dane is Molly's boyfriend. Today's actually our two year anniversary. It is. Is it, is it really? Yeah. yeah. 
Congratulations. So many anniversaries. Two years since the last podcast. 200 episodes. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The second I left your podcast, I met him. And like, you know, things <laughs> only went up. So this podcast is actually really good luck. All right. Well, good. I'm very glad to know. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Molly, last time you were on this podcast, we talked about the fact that uh, you'd uh, studied journalism. And then you came to Paris in order to sort of generally just find yourself. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. And you found yourself. Yep. And then uh, you you went back to the States, but you moved to San Francisco where yes. you've been working for a couple of years and um, you've, you are now working as a journalist, right? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I work for CBS now, mm -hmm. which is like one of the major news channels over there. Um, I'm mostly on the production side right now with like some on-air stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's it's fun going to college and paying for it and then finding a job in that thing. Was it a surprise to actually get a job? At yeah, the end? yeah. Really? It, you, di you didn't expect that? No, I didn't. Well, I mean, TV journalism is sort of a archaic industry nowadays. Um, so I was very fortunate to find a job in a dying field. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you do some producing and some uh, reporting. Yes. And a lot of video editing and writing for anchors. Okay, so you're, you're doing the news, basically. It's news broadcasting. Yes. Okay. So give me an idea of a typical day. Go in, uh, check the news wires, check police blotter, see what's happening. Check what? Police blotter. What's that? It's um, so like the internal police radio system. You're listening to the police? Yeah. Is, are you allowed to do that? Yeah, you are. So you're just like <laughs> tuning into the police and it's like... <laughs> What kind of things do you hear? It's like, there's a cat stuck in a tree on 24th and Broadway. You're like, I'm on it. Um, <laughs> is that, is that, what's the most typical thing you hear? You, you yourself are actually listening to the police. Yeah, blotter. well, there's, there's sort of a, a hierarchy of the newsroom. So you have the assignment desk people who are really ear to the ground. And when they hear something, you know, like fire in the hospital, then like that's when the producers send a reporter out and you know or send the helicopter there's just a lot of ways to cover a story so it's a lot of sort of editorial choice choices on how to cover a specific story because like obviously if there's a fire at a hospital we're going to take that more seriously than a cat stuck in a tree mm -hmm. which i don't agree with but <laughs> i'm working to fix that i think cat up the tree is <laughs> much more important that's the beat i'm on actually really is this because <laughs> this is because they send you out to the cat up the tree story and they're not sending you out to the hospital story is that right so you're like standing up for the cat story <laughs> i'm the voice of the cats okay so i guess in your first two years of being a, a journalist like this they do send you out to the cat story more often is that right yeah you gotta kind of earn your stripes a lot of times um since i'm still somewhat of a novice on-air personality um they'll send me out with a more seasoned veteran journalist in case you know mm -hmm. the cat falls Okay, and, and, and you need to learn from the, from the more seasoned journalist on how to write about, how to describe the cat falling. Yeah. Um, what's the most difficult thing about the job? Um, to not take it personally, I guess. There's, uh -huh. uh, there's a lot of sad things that come out of journalism. And um, when you have uh, as many shootings as we do in the United States, uh, mm -hmm. it's hard to sort of car uh, compartmentalize what you're covering and just remove yourself from it and see yourself only as somebody to deliver news and not to deliver, you know, your personal emotions on it. So it was really difficult covering like the Paris attacks, for example, because that hit close to home for me. This was my home. Mm -hmm. um, 
but in a newsroom in San Francisco, it felt so far away for everyone else except for me. So mm. you really have to sort of push it back, do your job, and then deal with the sadness of whatever you're covering later. Okay. All right. Do you, have you had to that cover got it? heavy. It did. It got heavy quickly. <laughs> Just like my time in Paris. I thought you were gonna really <laughs> too many baguettes. I thought that I thought when you talked about the serious stories, you were gonna you, you were talking about like the moment where the cat falls out of the tree. <laughs> yeah, um, I can never. It never gets easier when the cats fall out of the tree. Right. You'd think that you'd become conditioned to it, but you don't. But they always land on their feet, don't they, cats? <laughs> anyway, um, so all right, so there you are. You're you're going out to cover a story. You've got a cameraman with you or something. Uh, if you're lucky, a lot of times you just sort of one man band. You just carry the camera yourself and you're doing the whole thing yourself sometimes. Yeah. All right. And the cat's up the tree. Yeah. And then what do you do? You set up a camera with a tripod. Yeah. And then you're like, I'm standing outside the tree and there's the cat. <laughs> Back to the studio. Is Are you doing live broadcasts? Um, I haven't been live yet. So the thing is, um, San Francisco is the fifth largest market in the United States. Mm-hmm. So... If I'm getting a full-time on-air position, which is what I'm looking for right now, it has to be like a town population and salary 10,000. So it's going to be a big step back, but... So, sorry, I missed that. You're, you're looking for a job elsewhere? Yeah, I got to start at a smaller market and then move my way up. Okay. So right now I'm doing on-air stuff, but that's very atypical because you have to sort of cut your teeth in a smaller market. Okay. Which, which station are you working for? CBS. CBS? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's one of the... That sounds familiar. I mean, I'm not yeah. completely familiar with all the U.S. channels. You've got, like, obviously CNN and NBC and, mm-hmm. you know, Fox and other networks. That's but impressive. Is yeah, that a, really? Yeah. Well, I mean... Well, you you're, know. you're journalism royalty, right? Uh, yeah. Your I dad from a was B- mis- your heir to the BBC Fortune, is that right? That's right, yeah. <laughs> 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 when uh, my dad finally does pass away, I will inherit the entire BBC. <laughs> I don't think that's a. Uh, I don't think honest. That obviously it's not true, listeners. Uh, she's just joking. <laughs> I don't know if you've if you're uh, if you know about Molly Martinez, you probably don't because uh, I don't know how many of my listeners heard episode one hundred and ninety eight and one hundred ninety nine. Molly is a comedian. Sometimes she makes jokes. <laughs> Um, sometimes they're funny. Sometimes they're funny. <laughs> Most time not. Usually are. Um, and uh, so yeah, my dad used to work for the BBC, so I do come from a sort of a BBC family. And by BBC family, I mean that we never watched ITV, which is like the commercial station. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, you know, we've got more now, but um, back when I was a kid, there was like ITV and Channel 4, which were the two commercial stations. And ITV is frowned upon in my what's, household. What's a commercial station? What's a commercial station? Yeah, it sounds terrible. Just nothing but commercials. No, no, it's it's a station, a TV station that uh, has commercials. And that does is, BBC not have commercials? The BBC doesn't have any commercials. Are the HBO? How does, how does that even work? How do so they get money? The, the way that the BBC works is that you have uh, the license fee. So the, the entire uh, uh, sort of, uh, all the money that uh, the BBC uses to make its shows, for the most part, comes from the license fee. If you want to watch television in the UK... You need to buy a license, and it costs about £100 a year, maybe more. And uh, that money is used for various different things, but a lot of it goes into the BBC's fund. The and BBC fortune. The, the money pot, <laughs> uh, the fund, and that fund is then used to, you know, it's some of it's given to the BBC, other, uh, other money is given to other, other places and things like that. But, uh, yeah, it's publicly funded. It's not part of the government. 
So it's actually independent and it's, it's regulated by independent regulators as well. So people often think that it's some sort of government television station because it's publicly funded. It's not. That's important because, you know, a lot of people get that wrong. It's, it's independent and it's independently uh, regulated. Um, and it's quite unique, really, in terms of broadcasting companies around the world. Um, so that's the BBC. And then ITV is independent television. That's also independent and it's regulated too, but uh, they get their money from advertisers, uh, which does affect the output. Absolutely. The BBC's got, as a public broadcaster, it has a, uh, a set of principles that it has to operate by and the things like it has to operate within the public's uh, benefit and it has to take into account uh, the, the diversity of, of the audience. And so, you know, certain types of programming are, are obliged you know and stuff like that um so itv yeah commercials on it and so therefore it's a lot more sort of broad in its appeal yeah and you know we didn't we, we didn't used to watch it i think my parents didn't really agree with the sorts of stuff that was on it itv showed i mean by american standards itv would probably be just pretty normal i imagine yeah that's all tv stations yeah but itv showed I'll give you an example of the difference between ITV and BBC. So ITV showed Baywatch, BBC showed Doctor Who, <laughs> right? You know, you know about Doctor Who, of course. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, wait, Doctor Who? Very good. Knock knock. <laughs> Doctor Who's there? Doctor, exactly. Doctor, <laughs> knock knock. Doctor, knock Sorry, knock. knock who's there? <laughs> doctor, Doctor Who. That's right. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> What's she like? Just, ru- <laughs> just ruining jokes. You what, never get one in. What is you, she like? You truly never get a joke in, um, as you can now see. I can see. Oh, that's all right. I don't mind. <laughs> um, so where, where, where was I? What, what were we talking about? The fact that you work for CBS. Yes. Okay, good. Well done. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Uh, what do you do, Dane? I work in technology for a startup called Fastly in San Francisco. We make the internet faster, as you can imagine, really? based on the name. Yes. How, how do you make the internet faster? Well, actually, one Put of on our, your jammies. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what? It's very, very exciting and riveting things. Um, I, put a, so put, I put on your jammies. Put it's on, time for night night. She said, "Put on your pajamas, ladies and gentlemen," because it means she thinks that we're all going to go to sleep now. Well, we've been dating for two years, and I still have no idea what he does. So I'm all ears right now. Now's the time to find out what he actually does. So he makes the internet faster. That's a, that's good. Indeed. Go so we have companies like the Guardian, or even small podcasters like yourself, mm-hmm. that are broadcasting or pushing content around the world. Mm -hmm. If you were to try and get that content directly from here, from the United States, for instance, it doesn't happen instantly. They would have to send a message to someplace on the East Coast of the United States and then come across the ocean and then go through somewhere in Europe and then finally get themselves to Paris, say, hey, what do you got over here? We've got this podcast. Do you want it? Yes, I do. Back and forth, back and forth. Milliseconds and milliseconds go by. So our company's job is to make sure that if somebody's asking for something in the United States, something that content that they're looking for is placed as close to them as possible so that oh. that content can be delivered quickly and efficiently. I see. So it makes the internet faster, basically. Okay. So what that, that means like physically moving physically things? Physically faster, yes. But, so, but physically moving, you say things are closer to... The, if, let's say if I'm here in Paris and I'm sending an... If, if I'm asking... If I'm, mm-hmm. Like if I'm sending an email... 
uh, or if I'm just sort of clicking on a Google link? It's usually for a request. So in this case, one of your listeners would be requesting your podcast. How? Instead, So when they click and say, I want to listen to this, that's a request. They're making a request to a server. When they're clicking play mm-hmm. on the embedded player on my website, that's yes. a request. Yes. Okay. And in fact, every time that they load the pictures, the text, everything mm. on your website. Mm. And instead of coming all the way out to Paris or, you know, if you're hosted on GoDaddy or wherever you're hosted, um, they would be able to go to the nearest what's called pop network. Oh my God. So I know it's very, very, and it's fun cause I don't actually do any of this. So I'm like kind of even, you know, I'm on the operations team. So I actually don't even know a lot of the, the science and engineering behind it. It's, it's but so basically cool. it makes the things that you're listening to in Tokyo right next door as opposed to Tokyo. I see. Okay. My podcast is hosted in London. So, uh, audio boom, host my podcast. They're based near Tower Bridge in London. Very nice location. Mm. Mm-hmm. You can imagine the servers there with all the traditional, you know, the cast. There's a Tower of London and all that and Tower Bridge and stuff. Very nice listeners. Mm, British English. <laughs> um, and uh, so someone in, let's say, Japan makes a request. They press play on a button on my website. Mm-hmm. All that information has to go like all the way around the world to Japan. It's going through what's, uh, what? How is it actually being communicated from the servers in London to, uh, you know, the Japanese listener? So a lot of people don't recognize that the internet is not just a big cloud like in the sky. It's actually yeah. a, a giant series of tubes it's underwater just- across the oceans that go between all of our different countries. And so, really, what they're doing is they're looking for the closest server to them that okay. has the information that they want. Okay. You don't necessarily, so most of your listeners, I would imagine the great proportion of them don't actually get it from Tower Bridge. They're getting it from, so for me in San Francisco, my closest hub would be San Jose, which oh, yeah. is about an hour south of us. Okay. So I get it in a millisecond as opposed to half a second. So you mean all the stuff has been copied from Tower Bridge and it's then somehow stored in that's San actually, Jose? That's part of the, uh, that's part of the magic that our company, uh, you know, kind of the secret sauce is it's basically gossiping, gossiping servers. One hears the newest content and says to all the others like, oh, you got to get this. It's tight. I love this. <laughs> this stuff is great. Except imagine that's for like every cat video, right. every meme, every stupid post. Right. Every basketball score. So essentially, Tower, like San Jose gets the information from Tower Bridge and then gives it to you instead of you having to go all the way to Tower Bridge and back again. I see. Blimey. How does this affect your work? Um, does it affect your work? <laughs> most is, most people don't fir- know how it affects their work. This is the work. first I'm hearing of how the internet works. So yeah, it's no, exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're uh, pretty contained in our local market unless of course there's like a a great viral piece that we put out yeah so most of uh, the reports that you're doing are local to san francisco okay all right i see but we also cover a lot of national stories too and international depending on interest they're like five things that make something newsworthy it's like um relevance time uh novelty um and then like proximity and then one other one. <laughs> Five is always a good number. If there's right? a cat, but I think cat, that's cat. always newsworthy. Yeah. Cat is the fifth one. Yeah. Okay. All right then. Um, so are you actually on the TV then these days, Molly? <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. yeah really? Uh-huh. How does it feel to be on TV? Oh, it goes right to your head. You're like, wow, I look great. And then you get messages like, ew, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> like I... Really? Yeah, there's nothing I can do, do about that. Do, do you get contact from your audience? Oh, yeah. 
Really? They, uh, they give a lot of feedback. Not all of it is nice. Really? How yeah. does it fit? So you get some negative comments. Yeah. I mean, it's like internet trolls, you know? You, mm-hmm. can't, you can't take them too seriously. Unless it's constructive criticism. Like, you should learn how to pronounce this city because you live here. Yes. It's not San Francisco. <laughs> it's, how, how, how should it be pronounced? San Francisco. San Francisco. Lovely. Okay. Perfect. Unless you're okay. Spanish and then that's... Then it's... San Francisco. Is that how the Spanish say it? I don't know. In, okay. <laughs> it's a hypothetical Spanish person <laughs> yes. in, in your mind. Yes. Um, Martinez, I hypothetical can't... Spanish person. <laughs> Put that you, on my tombstone. <laughs> are you a real Spanish, uh, Spanish speaker? You speak uh, Spanish, don't you? Um, I just came back actually from two weeks in Nicaragua and El Salvador, and the answer is a hard no. Really? Yes. So you couldn't communicate with the locals? Very difficult. Was that just because it's a different kind of Spanish or because your general Spanish Spanish. is the same Spanish? Yeah, well, I mean, my parents, my dad's Mexican, but they sent us to French school thinking that that would be more beneficial to us, which I don't don't know if that was the right choice, but I definitely don't. Speak good French, though. Thank you. It's it's going great here. A French person, tell you what, as a Spanish speaker, doesn't really help in Paris. No, no. So you're you're able to communicate much better here than you could in Nicarag- Nicaragua, then. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Is that how you say it in Nicaragua? Yeah. Really? Oh, you say Nicaragua, right? <laughs> Nicaragua. <laughs> Nicaragua. Nicaragua. Uh, yeah. Nicaragua. 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 Yeah. How Just do you like do the, it? Like the Jaguar. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's similar. <laughs> jaguar, and you say ja- Jaguar. Jaguar. Okay. <laughs> I also can't say the biggest city in California. Because all British people can't say that name properly. Los Angeles. Yes. We oh. call it Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles. And in America, you say what? Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. Los Angeles. You've got, a, you've got a good American accent. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? Mm-hmm. You've been working on it. You could pass as a Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. A Los Angelander. Angelino. Angel- Los Angelino. They don't say Los. Los an- Angelino. Really? Yeah. Los Angelino. No, Sounds no, like just Angelino. Male rat you never ballerina. Never say Los Angelino. That's too much. They call the you, you, people from Los Angeles are called. Uh, Very good. <laughs> thank you. Are called Los An- what, what? Angelinos. Angelino. No. Okay. Uh, not Angelinas. If there was a group of. Los Angeles. It's pretty arbitrary yeah. what yeah. you call your people, though, because like Angelinos, this is the first I've heard of that. We're San Franciscans. They're Baltimoreans. <laughs> <laughs> you just wanted to make that joke. They're not really called Baltimoreans, are they? In Baltimore, because a moron, listeners, is an idiot, isn't it? Yeah, they wouldn't call themselves that. Um, I just smashed your joke there with <laughs> with, the, with some sort of weird logic. With British truth hammer. Yeah. Um, okay, so, right, let's get this podcast back on track again. Okay, so, uh, Molly Martinez, TV journalist, um, okay, and uh, Dane Nightingale, uh, internet guy. Purveyor of the internet. Purveyor yes. of the internet. Indeed. Okay, okay. fantastic. All right. <laughs> now, the, you're both from the United States, right? We've established, Molly, you've got some Mexican roots. Uh, Dane, you, you've got some English roots. Uh, but you're both American. How does it feel to be Americans in Paris at this moment? Uh, relieving. Relieving? Yes. Why is that? Because uh, we're not in the United States right now for the backlash of last week. The backlash, yeah. So... Uh, what's what do you think about all this then? Um, can I ask you a question about uh, let's see about the election then? Yeah. So, um, what do you think of the result? What's your personal view? 
on all of this? Um, I think uh, there was a lot of shock, you know, uh, especially as a journalist for the last 16 months, I've just been covering this sort of circus and no one ever thought that it would come to fruition in the form of a Trump victory. Um, and I, t I talked about this on stage the other night. I'm like, you know, we were shocked. And then I realized I don't know a single Trump supporter. So, you know, I live, I live in a very gay city. I live, everyone's liberal, you know, my friends are smart. I just, it was shocking that it, so much of the country was behind this man when in our little microcosm of urban areas, we just, it seemed like such a joke. And then all of a sudden he's our leader. Yeah. But who votes? So how did he do it then? I mean, if it's not you, your friends, the people who live in your city in San Francisco, who is it who voted for Trump then? Because obviously a lot of people voted for him. And that, I think, kind of plays into the, the confusion of it all for a lot of us, because I, I think especially living in some of our cities, our bigger cities in the United States, um, the cities predominantly did vote for Hillary Clinton and mm -hmm. for Democrats, mm -hmm. um, whereas cities of a thousand or less, I don't, I don't know the numbers on this, but I would imagine it's staggeringly high for Trump. Mm. So is there a divide then between the sort of big urban areas and the other areas then? Is that the answer? Yeah, I mean, I feel like urban areas and sort of the whole middle of the country felt a lot more disenfranchised this election than we were aware of um, on the coasts. Uh, so, you know, Trump said a lot of ridiculous things, but reflecting back on this election he also said things that really resonated with people, you know, we're, we're losing jobs to foreign countries and he, I'm going to fix that. And it was sort of this grandiose, like dad's home, like everything's going to be great. I don't worry about it. I got it. Mm. And, and people wanted to hear that and they wanted to latch onto that. And also, you know, there are a lot of sentiments in America, whether they be racist, homophobic, that, people weren't allowed to express because it was so gauche and it's like very uncouth to say these things that you feel because they're so frowned upon. But here's a man running for the highest office who's saying these outlandish things that are incredibly offensive. And you're like, okay, I can now say this because this is what I'm feeling, but no one's ever actually gotten on a microphone and said it. So I think for, for some people who, um, have a nationalist view. It was liberating to hear this man say these things that you're, you were never allowed to say before. And I think that's also a sad part of this election. So it's a, it's a backlash against sort of political correctness. Yeah. But the political correctness is the, the fact that people uh, feel that they can't make statements about, you know, they can't say things like, uh, you know, there are too many immigrants or, yeah. um, you know, the, the sorts of things that uh, Trump are, has, you know, we understand Trump to, to stand for. Yeah. Uh, political correctness is what people associate with like the liberal elite mm -hmm. and this so-called agenda that... Uh, you got to tiptoe and you can't offend anyone. Like yeah. that's the root of political correctness. And the, the rhetoric this election surely was we need to fight back because political correctness is holding us back from being honest. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's any truth in that? I mean, he got elected. It's, yeah. it's sad if that's, if that's the truth. If, People were hiding their ugliness in this shroud, and now that it's been unveiled, 
they can run rampant with these ideas that have sort of been suppressed by society because they we've all agreed that they're wrong. Yeah. I also look at the flip side of that. You know, take a city, Cherry Valley, Arkansas. Mm-hmm. On the sign, it says they've got 720 people. They're actually probably at 650 right now. It's a declining small town America. Mm-hmm. This is a town that if it gets in the news, it's because of the things that, in their mind, the liberal media wants to see. Something that's, oh, backwards. Oh, maybe there was a cross burning. Like, these are not things that define the city, but for them, the only voice they have is the voice that's being played by others. So I think a lot of t- for a lot of these people, like, when you know, these outlandish things were said by Donald Trump, they weren't seen as, you know, earth shattering. When your earth is shattered already, when you're looked at as kind of the joke of the nation, Mm. as soon as you hear something like, your city's going to grow again, your city's going to have jobs again, I can see, I I mean, I imagine that that's very, very intriguing. Yeah, and quite attractive. Just, um, yeah, I suppose they just feel like, well, we've been underrepresented for... You know, however many years we've had the Democrat government for eight years. So, you know, maybe they they think that Trump is speaking for them. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. What about uh, Clinton? What do you think happened there? Because, um, um, you know, she lost. So what does this mean for the sort of, I would call, I guess it's the left. It's not really left by European standards in in the States. You know, what does this mean for the Democrats, do you think, in the future? Um, so back to being a journalist during this election cycle, one of the hardest things was having to sort of filter through the negative feedback of Hillary Clinton. Yeah. Um, because here's a qualified candidate who has dedicated her life to public service and she's just being dragged through the mud. And, you know, we had this sort of red heron of like her emails, these elusive emails, like they really made this into such a narrative that she is corrupt. She is evil, evil because of emails, but there wasn't any really like explanation of what was in the emails. Why were people so outraged by this? So the obscurity of this issue, I think really drove a lot of people to just hate on her. And like, I don't know how much of that is because she's a woman. um, And it's hard to see a woman in power. And especially if you're, you know, there's uh, America's a very machismo masculine nation and, you know, our forefathers and we're led by men and like, these are the people that will protect us. And I think as evolved as we are, we tell our girls, you know, you can be anything you want except for president. Mm. Um, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I I suppose that must be part of it, I guess. I mean, I, I not being American, it's harder for me to say, but, uh, I imagine it's it's partly that that there's a there's a still a sense of there being a gender divide, uh, but it's probably a combination of that with the from my point of view also the fact that people associate Hillary Clinton with the status quo, yeah. they associate with her with the political class, and so many people are basically disenfranchised mm-hmm. with the political situation at the moment that they assume that she is the embodiment of that. So voting for her means that you support the way things are right now, you know? Yeah. And uh, and that's that's sort of, that's a good point. And that's, I think, another reason why this election maybe shouldn't have been as shocking as it was. Yeah. Because we had Hillary Clinton, which, you know, whatever reason you hated her for, whether it was because, 
you know, she'd already been in the White House. She, you know, if she's been working this long in politics, like why hasn't she done more concrete things that are like tangible that we can see? Um, and so that's where like the third party candidate dilution came in. And people were like, well, you know, hell, we don't like Trump, we don't like Hillary, but we're still going to vote. So, like, we're going to vote third party. And ultimately, almost every third party vote just took away from Democrats. Really? So, because people didn't want to vote Trump, they weren't prepared to vote for Clinton because of the reasons given. So they voted for third party candidates. Well, I think there was just a deep dissatisfaction with both options. I think that also plays into the other party candidate that was the vote for no one. There were yeah. plenty of votes that people would actually go in and vote and just leave the top blank. Really? Which, yeah. again, would be a vote against Hillary Clinton yeah, when yeah. it comes down to it. Because yeah. Democrats often have more people in the country that are registered as Democrats. But when it comes down to, they call it, in, you know, firing up your base. Like, I, I don't think America has seen a base as fired up as the base for Trump this so, year. I mean, it was... Yeah. Trump managed to basically find his his voters. He really managed to find the core voters and appeal to them in such a strong way that they all came out and voted for him because they were so sort of passionate and so convinced by the rhetoric. Whereas Clinton couldn't quite find those that similar yeah. base, right? And, you know, we're coming off an Obama presidency right now and Obama really was a special candidate because he galvanized everyone. Like this, this was a man who came in. He was young. He was in, like so energetic. And uh, my parents let me skip school because Obama was in town, and I got to go listen to him. Like it just, it was such a exciting time. Mm-hmm. And you know, this past election was lackluster in comparison. So people really got behind Obama. You know, he was a charismatic speaker and I think so much of his appeal and so much of his draw, Hillary Clinton just didn't possess. Um, and those aren't things that necessarily can be learned. So I think she lost sort of the pep rally crowd. Yeah. Cause she didn't quite manage to, as you say, galvanize the crowd, galvanize the people in the same way that uh, Obama did. But I mean, Obama had that whole narrative of being the first African-American president, but also it was a vote for change yep. because, you know, let's, we've had however many years of, of George Bush and mm-hmm. his administration, let's have a change. So he represented change. He had the narrative of being the American dream, the first black man to be president uh, and all that kind of thing. And also, just as an individual, he's just got that charisma. He's got yeah. the kind of the cool sort of uh, charisma that uh, everyone loved so much. And he's this sort of charming, dignified man. And so, you know, people, I suppose, were more galvanized, as you said, to, yeah. to, to, to you, vote for him. You're really hard pressed to find like a mom age woman in the United States that doesn't have a thing for Obama. Right. Really? Yeah. Everyone's got a crush on Obama? My mom has the hots for Obama so much, and, like, it's gross. (laughs) I'll come home, and she'll just be, like, doing an Obama puzzle. (laughs) Okay, Mom. She's just staring at Obama pictures all day. (laughs) Um, But uh, Hillary Clinton, it's not just the fact that she's a woman, uh, but it also seems that she uh, just didn't have the same level of charisma and charm as, as Obama. I mean, I just don't feel that she was as warm as someone else might have been, you know? Or is that just me? I think the opportune word there, the word that sticks out to me is, I just don't feel and plug in anything about Hillary Clinton. The Mm. feeling, like, she is an incredibly smart and driven woman, but her ability to elicit feelings, I think, was the absolute, that was the Trump card that she couldn't play. Right. 
If yeah. she could elicit feelings, I feel like this would have been a very different, a different election. But mm. when it comes down to it, she was against a TV star, right? A reality TV star that yeah. the entire—I mean, like their bread and butter is eliciting feelings where none exist mm. every night in front of a live studio, or you know, not even a studio audience, in front of a live audience of people, you know, sitting in their dens. That's that's a tough that's a tough act to follow. So there's the potential uh, discrimination of the fact that she's, uh, w- that she's a woman. There's the uh, personal issue of the fact she couldn't elicit feelings and she didn't have the charisma and charm. But also, and the association with the political class and or the status quo and all that stuff. But we also can't underestimate the email scandal because that essentially, f- for me, seemed to be a case of there's, m- there's no smoke without fire. And, you know, all you need is just all of those things combined and then the suggestion that she's corrupt and it's not just the emails is it it's the clinton foundation and there are lots of questions now all it takes is for questions to be asked and people will answer them yeah i mean that's the thing i i think so the week before the election the director of the fbi Mm. comey comes out says, like, oh, we found some stuff. Or, oh, it looks real bad. We don't quite know what it is yet. But, oh, man, this is, oh, guys, like, we're going to have to look into this. And just that ambiguity. People were like, oh, well, I told you. I already knew it. I didn't feel great about her. And this is reiterating it. But, again, the, the FBI investigation um, actually didn't turn up anything. Yeah, like that's, that's the second investigation. They're like, well, we, you know, some new emails have come to light. We're investigating them. And then they like investigated them. And then afterwards they were like, yep, yeah, fine. No problem. But just because there was an investigation being led, many, many people were like, well, obviously she would have done something if she, you know, they wouldn't be investigating her if she hadn't done something. So people just assumed that there was uh, something going on there, even though the official investigations didn't actually turn anything up. Well, the official investigations really had nothing to do with her. It was about Anthony Weiner. I, I don't know if you're familiar yeah, with him. My listeners, I haven't talked about Anthony Weiner, but he's okay. this guy who leaked some yeah. dick pics. <laughs> yes. Yep. He uh, put it. Dick pics. He, my, my, I think my audience know what dick pics are. <laughs> I don't need to explain it or show any. Uh, <laughs> Thank God it's think, a podcast. Yes, that's right. Yeah, but I mean, this, you know, dick pic dog kept texting 15-year-olds or one 15-year-old. Really? Yeah, so oh, it, it was a federal investigation because of, you know, texting somebody underage. Huma Abedin, his wife, his poor wife, who has stood through him through so many scandals until this one where she finally put her foot down and left him, is an advisor to Hillary. So two women, three women, including the 15-year-old girl, got sucked into this vortex of Anthony Weiner and it ultimately, like, I don't know if that was the, the death knell or what, but, you know, this whole Hillary Clinton email scandal stems from something that she really had nothing to do with. Mm. It was one of her employees' personal lives. But still, there's that, still the question of uh, why did she have a private email server and why did she uh, delete 35,000 or whatever, however many thousand it was? Why did she delete so many of those emails? Why was the... You know, the evidence destroyed before she gave the service to, to the FBI. Why? And we haven't had 
answers to those questions. And naturally, it's human nature. But we certainly ask them every we, chance we can get. Yeah, we're constant. She has been scrutinized more than almost any other presidential candidate uh, so far. Now, now because the questions have not been answered, there's still people who are going to assume that she's guilty of the accusations that have been led at her, whether she has or, or hasn't. We don't know. We don't know, but we we all are aware that when there is an unanswered question, people will answer it in their minds. You know, they, they especially when it's something big and important like this, they will find an answer that that sort of uh, often the answer that um, confirms their suspicions or their feelings about that person. And because she's not the charismatic, warm person that people perhaps want to trust, certainly if they are of the the, the type of person who would support Trump then it's just all working against her all the time. I still don't really know what's going on with those emails. And and I guess it's now too late, really. And I'm, I mean, I don't know if she's going to be prosecuted. Trump said he would lock her up. Do we know he, what's going to happen? It seems like he's backed off of that since. And honestly, when it, when it really comes down to it, the American elections last over a year. And this election has been marked by just attacks attacks, attacks, attacks. Even the Democrats, who usually stay a little bit farther off that, they could, I mean, like, when you watch the Democratic National Convention, like, half the people that went up were just gleeful about going up against Trump. For the first time, they had somebody that was just a walking scandal. And the Democrats went, we said we went high, but when it really comes down to it, there was a lot of low blows from the Democrats as well. Personal attacks against Trump. And I think when, when... when a campaign is constantly under attack, mm-hmm. like defense seems like weakness. And so I think for a lot of people, like it does like, yes, we may never find out about the true nature of what happened with the 30,000 emails. I think when it comes down to it, there really, there might've been some mis, there might've been some misdoings. Who knows? That'll be for. Okay. Can, God I, can I just say something? Yes. Okay. This is the past 16 months in a nutshell. Yes. We have a man who has offended every single demographic, Mm -hmm. who is by all means awful, who we just elected into power, a very hateful man. And we're sitting here spending most of the podcast time speculating on emails. Yeah. That was the election right there. And we're doing it now. Yeah. You know, you're saying Hillary Clinton wasn't warm enough. Like... That's such a double standard. Like, women have to be warm. They have to be, you know, they can't be too much. They're too much of that, but they're too little of this. There's such a fine line to walk. And ambition is a hard, is a hard walk. And I think that's a big problem with this yeah. election. That Well, I'm trying to understand why it was that more people didn't vote for her. I mean, I, 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 I didn't have a vote, obviously, but... Um, I'm trying to understand why it was that she lost, you know, and uh, trying to unpick the the remains of uh, well, the situation. Well, can we just focus instead on why, if, instead of why she lost, yeah. how he won? Yes. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think it's partly to do with the fact that people, you know, as you said, undecided voters went for third-party candidates and therefore she lost votes to them. But then why, why did so many people vote for him, including some... Hispanic voters as well, who we uh, all assumed would vote for, for Clinton en masse, and many of them voted Trump. Why, why did some Hispanic voters vote for him? Well, I think it's also important, and I think it's important to remember that 
Hillary, I mean, there are still votes being counted right now, and Hillary yeah. won the popular vote right. by quite a bit, yeah. meaning that more people in America voted for her than voted for Trump. She actually got 60.3 million votes in total compared to 59.9 million votes for Trump. So she did actually get more individual votes. She, she won the popular vote. Mm-hmm. But because of the electoral college system, which nobody understands, <laughs> um, Trump is the one who actually... Um, got into the White House. Yes. And that's because of proportional representation. Yes. Yes. And also winner-take-all states. Winner-take-all states. Yes. I don't know what that means. So the Electoral College, like you said, is um, based off representatives. So the population of your state, uh, depending on who, some states, Wisconsin, California, Kansas. Most states. I think there's only two that have any kind of like truly weird stuff, but... If a candidate gets 51% of the vote, of the popular vote, then they get 100% of the electoral votes. That's just the way it works. Right. So, if, okay. So, if, for example, in which, which states was it again? Wisconsin and California are the what? two ones I'm sure of. So, if, if, we, if in Wisconsin the candidate gets above, what, 51-something percent, yes. mm-hmm. then they just win all of the votes in oh, that. Yeah. In I, that. I think it's, it's 50.00001, if they get right. a plurality, basically. Right. If they're able to go in there and say that I get enough votes that it's more than anybody else allows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, um, right. if I may go back to Hispanic voters, yeah. um, I think that, uh, you know, you're right. We all assumed Hispanic voters would be outraged by this idea of the wall that they're going to foot the bill that you know all Mexicans are rapists like there there was so much outlandish vilifying things that were said this election but also you know there are there's a, a there's a population of Hispanic people in the United States that came here legally that did the work that navigated their bureaucracy and that achieved citizenship the legal way and i think there is sort of a, you know, Miami, mostly Cuban. They're almost always Republican. Yeah. And so I think it's unfair to group every Hispanic together because there are some Hispanics who are very conservative, who, like I said, came here legally and did the thing and who resent people who are just crossing the border and, you know, seeing America as a lawless place where, you know, they snuck in and now they deserve every right and they don't have to pay taxes and they don't. So I think, you know, there's, there's resentment there and I, there may be enough resentment to vote for Trump. Yeah. I guess it shouldn't really be a surprise. As you said, we shouldn't just assume that all the Hispanic voters are going to vote for Hillary because they're Hispanic voters, right? I mean, of course there's going to be disparity across different ethnic groups and things like that. Yeah. This was certainly an election of assumptions. Yeah. On both sides. Right. Absolutely. And, And yeah. Well, I, I, I would love to ask you loads of other questions. I feel like I'm firing questions at you and demanding that you uh, account for the, the behavior of your country. Um, so thanks for us answering the questions, you know, um, and thanks for giving your, your opinions. It's a pretty uh, sort of crazy situation, right? Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and it's, it's a, bit, a bit like in the UK with the, uh, you know, obviously the Brexit vote earlier in the year. And now... Lots of people are having disagreements every day about this. And, and then a lot of other people are like, come on, we've just got to get on with it. You know, so to an extent. I yeah. Think. And, you know, Obama said it. He's like Trump's elected. But now it's our we all have to root for him. We yeah. hope he does a good job and we should give him a chance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's all we can do at this stage. I mean, obviously, we can express our disagreement about certain 
principles and things like that. But uh, I think we all have to just hope that he does a good job, whatever that means. I mean, good for who? Good for everyone, I suppose. It's going to be good for white men because it's almost always good for white men. So. Oh, dear. I feel like uh, we should have a bit more fun now, if that's at all possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, invest in invest in alcohol and in, in you know in the states right now because people are going to be and weed's driven legal to drink. Too. Yeah, weed's legal. Weed is legal where in California, Maine, really? Come on down. Nebraska, Washington, Oregon, Colorado. These are all great places to visit. Visit your <laughs> local tourism board. United States of America open for business. So, what weed is just legal in California now? Is it recreationally yeah. legal? Yes. Really, that's new. Yes, as of Tuesday. Tuesday. As of Tuesday? <laughs> yes, sir. Seriously? So I know the situation before uh, was that it was legal for medical use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quote, unquote. Right. This, this sort of very yes. ambiguous uh, t- expression, yeah. medical use. <laughs> there are a lot of ailments that were invented after the term for medical use came out. So, How did it work then when it was legal for medical use then? How basically for the average sort of Californian... How did that affect your life? Well, you could go into a doctor and be like, ow, and they'd be like, here's a card. Say no more. <laughs> so you had to have a card, yeah. and you used that card to buy your weed from a, a weed shop. Dispensary. A dispensary. Mm-hmm. Yes. But you had to get the card from a doctor. Yes. And so uh, what kind of uh, physical problems you know, would give you the card, would get you the card? Uh, glaucoma. Glaucoma. Back. People love that one. Black Back pain. <laughs> Just... Any kind of pain, basically. Leg pain, knee pain. Yeah. Name a pain. Tea pain. No weed pain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Being sober yeah. could get you a card. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, let's not forget the fact that, I mean, it, it did, one of the reasons that it was able to pass, you know, as medical marijuana years ago mm. was because there are people who are in chronic pain that do. Yeah. You know, especially, I think a lot of uh, cancer survivors came back mm-hmm. and mentioned that it was something that helped them get through surviving yeah. I think that is a very... It's a it's a story that you can tell that mm. gets people behind you, and Absolutely. so I think like that's been legal for quite a while, and it's been kind of a sea change going on in the United States. Um, obviously, California being one of our more progressive or liberal states um, tends to lead in those things, but mm-hmm. people forget the same year that we voted in Obama, California did not pass this almost the same bill and passed legislation against gay marriage. So you know. Yeah. The Falling pendulum down swings. A different rabbit hole. The pendulum yeah. swings, huh? I know. And so on. Yeah, sorry, it's Rabbit Hole City. <laughs> and the band to, marches on. Welcome to my podcast. But, <laughs> but I, I, I think we need to just finish this this story about the legal weed because it's an interesting development, you know. And so now, as of Tuesday, as you said, it's now legal recre- recreationally. Yeah. So how does that work then? So I think the law is you can have up to an ounce of weed on you. Um, and you can grow six plants okay. in your house. Um, there's still laws like, you know, you can't smoke outside. You can't, you know, smoke and drive. Yeah. You can't, you can't be under 21. Go it's to the same as, uh, actually it might be 18. Might be the same as tobacco. No, it's 21. Is it 21? You can't share it with a toddler. You know, they're still thinking, <laughs> not everything goes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and what about in terms of buying and selling it? Is it still the dispensaries? Do you still need a card or something? Do you need to... I think you can just walk into a dispensary. I mean, it. My, um, I've got a stoner cousin in Denver, and he can just walk into a store and buy it okay. without any sort of... Other than a, 
ID. Wow. And they won't stop people from other states either, which is when it becomes a little bit slippery because obviously California borders quite a few states. Yeah. Um, so is that legal in, fe- in, ter- in terms of federal law? Well, that's the tricky part. It's illegal federally, but yeah. legal on a state level. So, I mean, I don't think the federal agents will ever bust, you know, anyone in California. Cheech and Chong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they did bust. Uh, I met him on an airplane. <laughs> Which one, Cheech or Chong? Um, who's the taller one? Uh, I think it's Chong. Cheech is the one who's sort of uh, Hispanic. And Chong is the one who's not. Super, yeah, the super hippie, tall, scraggly yeah, beard one. one. Chong's like this, man. Don't they both speak like that? They do quite a lot, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it a didn't help me at all. Um, yeah, Chong. Chong, I think it's probably Chong. He was uh, 40,000 miles high. <laughs> you were all 30,000 and he was 40,000. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, guys, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. I feel like it's been a sort of slightly tense experience. Because, well, because that's not your fault. Well, kind of my fault it is because I asked you all these questions about uh, the election and things like that. So uh, I hope my listeners understand that it's a difficult thing to talk about, isn't it, this? Yeah, it is. And, you know, every election is consequential. It's not like, hey, guys, you can just sit this one out because... Both candidates are pretty much the same. Like that's never any election in a two-party system, but this one particularly. So there's a lot at stake for a lot of people. So we're gonna just see how it plays out. Yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, how long have you got left in uh, Paris? Two days. Then off to Iceland. Ah, Iceland! You're going to Iceland. Welcome to Iceland. <laughs> what are you doing in Iceland? Uh, snow, I think. Just generally snow. Generally snow. I'm going to stick my tongue to whatever looks frozen. Yeah. Like a frozen lamppost or something? Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Ski lift. Iceland. So it's all frozen at this point because it's not always frozen, not all all year round. Yeah. It might be frozen now, but I don't know exactly what the conditions are. I don't really know anything about Iceland except for the country bird is the Bjork. (laughs) Is that right? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, Bjork. Yeah. She comes from Iceland. She's one of Iceland's most famous uh, exports. Yeah. And uh, she eats, well, I don't know if it's fair to say that they eat puffins. I, I think that is fair to say. I is did it? see it in the in-flight magazine, and those have never lied to me. <laughs> um, so, great, Iceland. What are you going to do in Iceland? Do you have any plans? Eat puffins, I uh, guess. Eating puffins does sound enticing now. Puffins, my listeners might not know. We're going we're gonna to puffin in Iceland and go back to California and be puffin there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The jokes keep on rolling <laughs> here with Molly Martinez. Full circle. Well, enjoy your puffins wherever you are. <laughs> and thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Okay, so that was the conversation. And uh, I would just like to thank Molly and Dane again for coming onto the podcast. Uh, they took some time out from their holiday to talk to me and you. And uh, some of that time was spent going over the election. And and things did get a little bit heated during the serious part of their conversation. So, um, you know, I just want to say thanks uh, to them for taking time out of their holiday to talk about that subject with me. Um, You heard that uh, you heard in that conversation uh, that Molly expressed her frustration about the standards that people seem to have about women in positions of power, uh, which is something that Sarah Donnelly also talked about when she was on the podcast talking about Hillary Clinton recently. Um, Now, specifically regarding the public's perception of female candidates, 
maybe it is harder for a woman to capture the trust of the nation because she's expected to have so many conflicting qualities all at the same time. Um, if she's too warm, then she's considered to be too emotional. If But if she keeps the emotions in, then she's judged as being cold. That's, I think, what Molly was talking about when she said it's a double standard. Um, the point that I was trying to make was that I think voters respond to certain personal charisma regardless of their gender. But thinking about it now, maybe women are judged differently than men and it's harder for them to strike the right balance. Anyway, that's that's quite enough politics for this episode. I just wanted to say thanks to Molly and Dane for talking about the election because they're on holiday and this is probably a story that they're quite sick of after a year and a half of election coverage in the media back home. And I expect that they're just glad to be away from it all for a few days. So I hope that you will join me in expressing your gratitude to them for taking the time to talk about it to us on this podcast. Um, I've very much enjoyed having them here and um, I appreciate their honest reactions and also for just the light-hearted fun bits at the beginning and at the end. Now then, um, I would like to just uh, say a couple of things here at the um, at the end of this episode. I've just got a few notes to go through, just a few bits of admin. So I'm going to bring the music back in. Okay, so here are some notes. Now, um, recently lots of people have shown interest in hearing a conversation with my dad about the recent news, including the election results and about recent political developments in the UK. So people are looking for another Rick Thompson report. Now, I am planning to talk to him soon, so that episode should arrive before long. Uh, just as long as I don't get, you know, snowed under with work or snow or fall into a wormhole or something like that. Um, so obviously I can't absolutely guarantee everything, but I'm going to speak to my dad soon and hopefully uh, an episode will um, appear before long. I'm a bit wary of doing politics too much for obvious reasons, but many of my listeners have sent me messages assuring me that they do appreciate the commentary, so I won't abandon the subject completely, but I will be getting on with other topics on this podcast as well as getting back to basics with some episodes about language. Um, the next episode is number one, is number 400, which is pretty cool, isn't it? It's not bad, really, considering how long some of my episodes are. So that must be, on average, about 400 hours of podcasting that I've produced over the years. I'm quite proud to have made it this far. Um, and it's mainly thanks to my listeners, your enthusiasm for this podcast, your support, and the support of my sponsors... Um, I'm not sure to what extent I will celebrate during episode 400 or anything. I don't really know yet. Uh, I did quite a lot of celebrating in episode 300, in which I had uh, contributions from many of the guests that I've had on this podcast uh, over the years, as well as uh, a few daft uh, celebrity impressions by me and my brother. So uh, that's what happened in episode 300. So about f episode 400, we'll see. Um... Perhaps I'll just switch on the microphone and I'll have a ramble. Perhaps I'll have some guests. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Um, talking of guests, um, Amber and Paul are both very busy at the moment. Uh, Amber is um, producing a play uh, with James Simpson. So they've been working on a, a play for children. 
Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to having them both on the podcast at some point uh, to talk about the play. But they've been doing lots of rehearsals, lots of writing, and also performances of the play. So um, I haven't had a chance to get Amber on the podcast lately. Um, usually I try to get them both on Thursdays, but they've both been busy on Thursday afternoons recently. So um, that's why we haven't heard from them for a while. But um, they'll be back uh, before long, I expect. So that's that's what Amber's been doing. Paul continues to have success with his TV series, which is called What the Fuck France. Yeah, that's actually the name of it. It's called. It's actually called What the Fuck. What the Fuck France, which um, is on French TV, and it's on. It's advertised on French TV. And next, What the Fuck France. Obviously, in uh, prochain, What the Fuck France. That's actually the name of the show. Um, but it, it sounds a bit rude, but it's actually an affectionate sort of piss take of French culture from the English point of view. And it seems that the French audience, generally speaking, are being very good natured about it and they're lapping it up. They're loving it. Uh, the show is now being broadcast on Saturday evenings on Canal Plus, which is one of France's major TV channels. That's quite a big deal. Paul is now Saturday evening primetime entertainment. Uh, Amber and I are very proud of him, of course, and also pleased because we helped him to write some of the episodes. We contributed some uh, content for some of the episodes. And in fact, if you watch the episodes and look at the credits, you can see our names in the credits, which is kind of cool. Um, You can see all of the episodes on YouTube. You don't need to be watching French TV. That's the cool thing. All of these episodes of WTF France, let's call it, uh, you can see them all on the YouTube channel which you can find on YouTube, uh, and uh, the channel is called What The Fuck France. Just type in What The Fuck France into Google or YouTube and you'll find it. I'll also add a link uh, on the page here so you can find it too. Now, um, if you're not French, you might not understand the appeal of the videos, or at least if you're not familiar with French culture and specifics of uh, French or Parisian life, then you might not really understand the the appeal of the videos. I don't know, but um, it might just look like he's insulting everyone. But actually, the humour comes from the familiarity with French life, particularly life in Paris. And really, he's saying the sorts of things that most Parisian people think on a daily basis. Uh, but he's putting it into words and he's doing it in English, which is quite interesting. Also, the videos are really, really nicely produced and directed and they look great. So check it out. Um, the Luke's English podcast anecdote competition is still open. In episode 396, you heard 10 anecdotes. So please do vote in the poll. If you haven't voted yet, do, please do so. Um, you can find the page and all of the... Um, you, can, you can find the poll on the page for that episode by clicking the blue button on my website. You'll see it on the right-hand side, under the logo, under the email subscription form. There's a blue button, uh, the LEP Anecdote Competition. Click there and you can vote, okay? Now, I've decided, uh, in terms of the prize, I've decided that as a prize, I will spend some time talking to the winner one-to-one on Skype. Okay, and I was I was wondering if I would have time to do that, if I could devote time to that, but yeah, I'm going to do that, all right? So the winner will get some one-to-one time uh, in conversation with me on Skype. Uh, now, I hope that the winner considers that to be a genuine prize. Um, I hope so. We'll see. Um, 
and uh, the, the that conversation may or may not be recorded and published on the podcast. We will see. We'll see how it goes, basically. Uh, but the prize is going to be uh, a chat with me on Skype. Okay? Um, now then, other things. Don't forget to join the mailing list. If you haven't done that, then I recommend that you do it. It's the quickest way, most convenient way to get access to the page for the episode. Okay? So, on the... Uh, on the website, top right-hand corner, just add your email address, and then when I publish a new episode or some new content on my website, you'll get an email, very discreet little email, uh, with a link in it, and you can click that link, and it'll take you to the page. And on the page, you'll find all these things that I always mention, like videos or links or transcripts. Uh, also, the comments section, um, you can just get straight to the comments section and write your thoughts there and read the thoughts of other people. Um, so, join the mailing list. Um, also, follow me on Facebook and Twitter. On Facebook, it's just Luke's English Podcast. And on Twitter, um, it's at English Podcast. Um, follow me on social uh, networks uh, because I post other bits and pieces uh, on those places from time to time. Thank you very much if you've sent me a message in, uh, in any way recently. Um, and, uh, you know, apologies if I haven't replied. I can't reply to them all. But I do appreciate the, the time that you spend writing to me. Um, also, thank you from the bottom of my heart if you've donated to this podcast because that's the most sincere way of saying thank you and I really, really, really appreciate it. Um, now, more episodes of the podcast are coming. Um, I have lots of ideas and things in the pipeline, but there's no telling sometimes what's coming next. Um, often I just record and publish an episode um, when the inspiration strikes. You know, and it's it's just done on an episode by episode basis. The the topic and content is often just decided by whatever inspiration strikes me at a given moment. It seems quite random, but there is a method to the madness. Uh, that's it for this episode. Thanks very much for listening. Have a lovely day, night, evening, morning, or whatever it is that you're doing, or whatever time of day it is. And I will speak to you again soon in episode four hundred. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk.